Good evening and welcome to the final session of the Watch This Space exhibition. Uh, this has been something that has been a daily occurrence since the 11th. In addition to the art, the international art of which Ian from Art Tracker is responsible for, um, it has been a juxtaposition of Sri Lankan artists responding to conflict and violence, as well as the art from abroad from their countries and contexts also responding to violence as well. Um, Art Tracker, Saskia Fernando Gallery and Ground Views brought this together. I'm, my name is Sanjana Hattatu, I am the editor of Ground Views. We brought this together to interrogate some of the issues that are pertinent in Sri Lanka post-war and in particular anchor some of these discussions to this concept, this notion called transitional justice. Every single panel throughout the week has had one frame, one lens through which they've addressed transitional justice, whether it's through the media, whether it's through uh, gender, whether it's through politics, they've been overall well attended. All of the uh, panels uh, are recorded, and that's because we've got a very high interest from the diaspora in particular uh, around the discussions over the week, so the podcasts will be subsequently uploaded onto the web. Uh, I have been uh, particularly grateful for uh, the help and support extended by Saskia Fernando and Harshi from Saskia Fernando Galleries, uh, my own colleagues and staff from CPA, and in particular the moderators and the panelists uh, for, for joining me throughout the course of the week to discuss and debate some of these issues. Um, there is one more thing, in addition to the art and these discussions. At the back of the room, you'll notice that there is a, a, a poster, a placard for a production by Floating Space uh, Theatre Company called Forgetting November. Forgetting November is an original theatre production that is an integral part of this exhibition. It will be dealing with the same issues, the same questions, concerns, challenges and ideas that we will be discussing today and we have been discussing over the week and in a sense this art also responds to. So I strongly encourage that you join us uh, for that production. It's not going to be during these days. It's uh, Jake, when is it? 27, 28, 30th and 31st uh, at the Harold Pedis Gallery at the Lionel Went. Uh, and I encourage you to take down those details and join us at the at the, at the, at the theatrical production. Um, that's about it from my end. I am extremely pleased and very grateful to Diane Uyangoda for moderating this session. This session is on art and uh, memorialization, and it, for me, in my mind, also because I've spent the entire week here coming for all of these sessions, brings full circle the conversations that began with Radhika Kumaraswamy's keynote on the first day, which is actually up online, by the way, on Ground Views. In her keynote, she looked at the role art could play and should play and can play in uh, highlighting, fleshing out some of the, uh, the deepest uh, issues around conflict, some of the issues that are hugely emotive, extremely divisive. Uh, and in a sense, the final panel, uh, and uh, moderated by Diane, and uh, Diane will introduce the panelists, uh, to me, in my mind, brings full circle that conversation to end where we began. How art, can art, should art play a role in interrogating some of these, these issues? Uh, some of these issues, by the way, we might be more familiar with uh, in terms of reports and publications 
uh, written for lawyers and between lawyers. And that's, in a sense, also my frustration, which is what gave rise to this exhibition, which is that uh, a lot of these issues really are issues that concern all of us. We don't need to be uh, conversant in the English language or have a degree or know the law in order to engage with some of these issues that concern us. And particularly in light of what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, I think these conversations are, are particularly timely and, and always useful to have, uh, irrespective of which way uh, the result swings. So with that brief introduction, Diane, thanks again for moderating and the floor is yours. Thank you, Sanjana. And Good evening and welcome to the final panel in what Sanjana has already said has been an extremely interesting and insightful discussion uh, and exhibition into what for me is also about locating art within a transitional society. Uh, as Sanjana said, many of us within civil society or as lawyers view transition within the justice prism. We view it within an individual prism. It's uh, very rarely that we actually jump out of that box in our comfort zone in looking at alternate methods of actually expressing um, dissent, views, uh, alternative narrative to what we are told. And art somehow seems to embody that ability to uh, have a more democratic conversation and a more open conversation about, at least for me, about what our society has faced and what we are still coming out of. Um, and before I introduce the panel, uh, this, this, this particular panel on writing transitions and changing and changeable texts is, as Angela says, it comes full circle and it's about, for me, where art locates itself, whether it contributes to or challenges a particular narrative of our past and of where we see ourselves moving in the future. Uh, a lot of art, when it, when it uh, re relates to power, can either ignore the popular narrative We've seen that in the manner in which our cities are beautified, architectural landscapes have been created. It either ignores, contributes to, or challenges. And where does the work of people like my panelists today, Thenu, Jake, or Thissuri, fit into it? And how do they also engage with change and the changing context of Sri Lanka? And are we really still a society? Are we a society in transition? Is that something we can complicate? Um, something else that I hope we are able to explore today is not just the politics of art, but also memory and how we remember. How do we forget? How do we remember? And what do we remember? And what is the truth that remains through that memory? Uh, because there are many mainstreams within the alternative. And what is it that we prioritize and what is it that we forget through our monuments and memorials? Also, how do we deal with the online, Sanjana spoke of the diaspora. Um, many of us have been struggling with methods of online memorialization, where physical memorialization has not been possible or feasible for certain issues uh, because of the past political context. How does that, how is that framed and how does that deal with collective memory? So I'm hoping that the panel could also shed their personal insights and uh, many of them don't need any introduction. Let me start with Tisri, who's closest to me. Tisri is an author, and she has produced at least two books that I know of. One is Colombo Streets, and the second is The Terrorist Daughter. She is currently an undergraduate at Bennington College, which I uh, know is an extremely prestigious 
finance or finance school, or liberal arts school, uh, and she's studying political science. And she's uh, actually her her reading is on this the the juxtaposition of art and politics. And Cicery has also interestingly actually how I came to know of Cicery was through her blog and through her online writing, which has been uh, extremely powerful. And I hope that at some point she will also be willing to share that, share her experiences with that um, during the discussion. Jake is, um, as many of you know, is a Colombo-based uh, playwright, actor, director. And for the past several years, Jake has um, built a body of work which I think has quite powerfully but also delicately weaved in the conversation of rights and post-war into his work. And um, Jake's, uh, I think, main contribution is his ability, at least to me, is his ability to speak to what we are unable to articulate in the mainstream and to build that alternative narrative. Tenu needs no introduction. Tenu, Chandragupta Tenuara is an uh, artist, an activist, an academic. Uh, he is a teacher. My first, uh, and before I hand it over to Tenu, my first interaction with Tenu was actually through the art of memorialization. It was uh, during what we loosely call the road painting movement, where uh, following the death of Neil and Thiruchalvam, a group of people decided to start painting the road yeah, and I can already see <laughs> Amina and Chudani reacting in the back um, because they started painting the road at the site where Neelan was killed. And that was intended to stop there, but it spiraled from there into a broader project that the, the US Embassy, State Department started calling it, to the, calling it the Dove Tour at some point because it was about recapturing, it was also about recapturing spaces of violence and for peaceful purposes. And I hope that Thenu can also maybe expand on that. Um, so we'll have 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes loosely per speaker for their submissions and uh, maybe a discussion amongst us and then we'll open it up to the audience audience for questions and further discussion. So maybe Tenu, if you can... Um. Um, thank you, thank you, Diane. So the, I have a lot of slides to show you and rather than uh, speak, uh, because I have two sets of slides. One is international memorials and from foreign countries and others are some <laughs> Sri Lankan. And then in the second part, I have my own work. So through those work, I try to uh, express something about memorialization. So as, uh, if you go, this is a city which I lived nearly 10, ten years, is Moscow. So, you know, Moscow, Soviet Russia is very good at the memorializing their patriotic wars and uh, socialism and future communism like that monuments are the very important part of their artistic uh, endeavors so and the one is particular monument is very humble monument which nearly near the uh, uh, Kremlin is it is a monument for unknown soldier so everybody went there and you know it's a kind of people's monument so now, I've recently when I saw the new slides, so it is different now because there are two soldiers near the uh, 
monuments. When I was there, there was no soldiers, even under the socialist government. I think after collapse of the Soviet Union, I think they need to guard some monuments, I think. That is why they put these two soldiers. So this is, this is the place normally with new wedded couples, like in now, uh, the in Sri Lanka, people are going to Independence Square to photographs. So Soviet wedded couples, actually they go to the Lenin's mausoleum and after that this uh, place. So it's like a part of their ritual. So in way that uh, they, uh, one way they are homage to their leader, kind of uh, socialist idea and then their life pattern and who their forefathers fought for their uh, cities. So that kind of thing I think they went through. So, and then uh, you see, uh, uh, this kind of Hatin uh, is this kind of uh, Belarusian who monument, whole huge area dedicated for that city Hatin became a monument because the uh, because of the war, Second World War and uh, Hitler's, uh, the Nazis destroyed whole village and then you see it's again uh, the artists are trying to speak from the side of the who uh, suffered from that village, who lost their life and they, they, they had a tradition to open their house, they, they don't lock their rooms, uh, their houses, anybody can enter. Uh, that very same day, the Nazis came in and they took all the people and gathered uh, in the same village and they burned uh, gas, under the gas. So the, that tragedy is uh, marked as a monument. So, and uh, these are the most of the monuments which uh, normally, the, this is the, you can see the panoramas, that monument. And, this is the recent one of the monument done by the Rachel White Red for the Holocaust uh, to commemorate the, the Nazis' uh, actions again. So the, these are the kind of monuments uh, funded by the governments or by the association. So there are the special kind of monument I like to mention because I had an idea to protect at least one place in Colombo, near the uh, Biafoot, in between the Methodist College, near the, there was a house burnt by 1983. That was a monument for me to 1983, but, but unfortunately through the beautification, it went away. So the, how the Berliners and the German people, they at least they provoked the war, but anyway they, <laughs> they kept kind of a church as the monument for the their, uh, uh, Second World War. That, that's the way they memorialize. So the, the, with the, in Sri Lankan context, the, we are facing, uh, seeing that most of the government, uh, the government means uh, not to become, the few, not future government or 100 days government, but the previous governments. The, under the Mahindra Adhipaksha regime, so the, their project is to erase the memory. So introduce the new chapter. There's a blank between the 1983 and 2009. They wanted to erase everything from 83 to 2009. That's the, their project, so that is why you can see most of the places were erased. 
So even the, they don't know how to cap, even monument can be, become a part of, uh, the, you can do architectural monuments, uh, can interaction with the people. So even church, they kept as a monument, they built the uh, ugly monument near the, that church, that's a gray uh, kind of modern structure. But outside, it's very ugly, it's like a leak or the uh, very bad condition kind of uh, architecture. But you go inside, the, so that when you go inside the church, then you can see the, the for new space and you can communicate with the, your uh, spiritualities and you know, so you can uh, live again and kind of giving hopes to them not showing the bad and same time you are going inside and kind of interaction you can have. So then, uh, then we can sh go to the Sri Lankan monument. So this is under the British. We have this monument near the public library in Colombo. It's a monument for the Second World War. Uh, it's not our war, someone's war, but we have a, a monument. So, but uh, the, so what? Uh, then I am going to show this uh, whole image and then these are the new kind of monuments we have. So this is the monument. So you can see the, how they try to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know how to analyze this work and you see the dog kind of lions are around four kind of different kind of lions. I think they have no idea who, what kind of lions were in. But even if you look at the flags also, then you as an imaginary lion is there. There is no gender in that lion. So kind of uh, they have no idea what they are building. So only the, you see the, on the soldier, weapon and the flag. So the major uh, motives of their uh, building of monument. So then, so this is the another monument, because those are the monuments they kept, because it's done by the LTT, those destruction time, destroyed by the LTT. They didn't keep the uh, places destroyed by the Sri Lankan army. So they built, or might be the temples, or the restaurants and this kind of new kind of things. But this is the stage, uh, the, the when the war going on. So now you can see the, how it's built as a monument. So it will be the uh, kind of showing the, how LTTR um, against the people, they even uh, the, put down the water tank. So water is very important for the, you know, even for the Sri Lankan side, you know, when they started the second, second, the final phase of the war also, because the block, blocking of the water, that's the main uh, thing they are talking about. So then I don't know this monument is still existing or not. I have to look for it. This is the monument erected by the, the, the LTT. So I think it is no more, I think. The, that's the way they treated also. The, you can see the Holocaust uh, symmetries, Second World War symmetries, and they got some kind of influence from those symmetries and build the kind of repetitive forms and show the, uh, how much 
uh, Mahavir and uh, sacrifice the soldiers, their life. So then, that's the, under the construction of those uh, things. And another monument, I want to show the before, the on, during the war and just after the war, then you s might see this uh, like that and then uh, how state going to treat that, you know, erected the, uh, out of that context and make a new kind of monument. And uh, it's like, uh, it's not a, like a war and kind of, it's like different kind of object they turn it to. And uh, I don't know how to understand this monument. And uh, when you enter close to Jaffna, this kind of wall hit by the bullet. Then I saw, because only through the internet I can see, now that I can see the lotus coming out of from the, that crack. And so I, I might have a connection with the lotus in the, my motives, then I can see the bullet then uh, coming out the lotus. So this is the way uh, they treated to the monument, how to forcefully make a monument to erase the reality and uh, uh, writing uh, kind of, it's not uh, occupied, uh, uh, occupied lands, it's like uh, they, it was existing even before that, you know, so kind of uh, they are showing the, their presence all the time, not that they want to show that, prove that uh, might be the, that's the uh, idea behind it. So the, I show you another monument made for the disappearance in Sri Lanka, it's by, done by the artist Jagatvira Singh. So it's the help of the government, Chandrika, under the under Chandrika Kumar Tunga, they, he got some kind of money to erect this monument, that means government help. That is why I don't like to work with the governments. I don't have any connection. If you want to make a monument, you don't have to work in Sri Lanka, work, work with the governments. So this the tragedy uh, came to this uh, monument. It was erased during, you see the, how the last days of, after the war, then you can see the, how the monument they uh, treated, the shop came and you know, flags around it. Um, and now it's look like this, no more any memory of that because especially the Jagat idea was to why he, the, the, some people ask why he asked uh, to erect that monument there because he said if you go to Surya Weber and uh, it's a very uh, isolated area the, the parliament is the place is the future and legislation everything is doing but the people parliamentarian has to see this I think I think uh, Jagat has to learn uh, another way the, how to erect the monument to see them, you know, so, uh, look at. Uh, but unfortunately, how Gotabe Rajapaksa's beautification came to the, that land and uh, erased the monument. So this is the way it started. So there might be the, I stopped a little bit near the barrelism. So I can't go away the barrelism and even the, these are the, uh, the state painted barrels which I got influenced to make my barrelism. So it was there till beautification you have seen uh, near the Vijarama road. Uh, 
and uh, I couldn't take a photograph. One of my Australian friends came and he made a photograph for me and sent me, this is your uh, main reference to your barrelism, like that, because the only white color people can photographs, but black or orange or the brown or other people cannot photographs. So the, that is why he's, he was white and he has that. Uh, because of that, he could take the photograph. So then now it is the memory remaining as in my barrelism and through this photography. So the, uh, now uh, the question is how to the sometimes uh, where we can, art, like artists, that's the place we can intervene. So when the government and the the, especially the government regimes uh, trying to erase the memories, so there, there is your field, then you can enter, you have to intervene, then you can, so people like it or not, then you have to work on it. That's the uh, previous government, especially they, he, they created me a space to work, so to memorialize or make a new kind of monuments, do some uh, proposals to people and to might be uh, keep that image and ask, uh, think about it. And even if they don't like it, might be the sometimes if you have two places, if you cannot understand, it's the beginning of the understanding. If you don't like, that is the beginning of the, that you can start to like it later. So then you have to start a dialogue with artwork and you have to go through it. So that's the, might be the point I, for the introduction. Then I can go show my other works, how individual artists working with some images to uh, deal with some other issues related to war. Because my work started with the, during the war and post-war. And pre-war, then I only saw that thing. 1983 happens in front of my eyes. So the why um, then uh, that is why I cannot go away from that. So the any uh, so even I train as an academic painter. So people think I can draw, paint well human figures, but uh, now I'm not painting those figures. So but more more of the time uh, I make these kind of ugly artworks or might be the non-artworks. So, so even without that, the action of the artist is very important rather than his product and process is very important so that the interventions can be started like that. So the, from, from, from that point, you can start a change. Even I know, so the barrelism, even if they cannot, everybody in Sri Lanka, they cannot see the barrelism they heard the concept behind the barrelism, they now understand. Or maybe only the JHU and these kind, those kind of people against the barrelism because uh, they are pro-war people, but uh, only anti-war people have had a kind of sympathy to barrelism or followers or they became fans of the barrelism. So that's the, uh, again, the, not the, we have to make artworks to make uh, the people can carry that idea even without that object. So that's, that is why very important, the conceptual art is very important in that, that, this point 
because even without artwork, the idea of the artwork is going. So that is the, for me my introduction. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Thenu. I think we can further explore some of your more recent work when we uh, discuss further. Yeah. Thank you. Tisuri, would you like to make you? Yeah. Sure. Um, mine is very personal, mostly because I'm still a student, like um, Diane mentioned. Uh, so I'll talk to you about my work and how I began, and I'm still at the very beginning of my work. So I'm very thankful to Sanjana for letting me sit with this very established panel. Um, so I wrote my first book when I was 14. Uh, it was titled Colombo Streets, and it was about uh, two children, two girls, one from uh, an elite Sinhalese family in Colombo, and the other uh, an adopted girl from, a girl from Kirinochi, who was same age, uh, pre-teens. Uh, her brother was an LTT carder, and she's adopted to live with this Sinhalese family that I mentioned before. So. What I did through these two characters, I was able to kind of compare and contrast and talk about this extreme levels of inequality that existed in our country. Uh, inequality in terms of safety, uh, education, healthcare facilities, and inequality of ha happiness as well. So I think that's the reason I wrote Columbus Streets and that's the reason I got into writing. But I think there's a lot of underlying developments for me as a child, learning to kind of understand the idea of life and a state. I've always had a very confused idea of a state. And I'm, I remember as a child thinking what a state really is and how a state should work and how we could help a state work. And uh, my father is a military officer. so. Um, I used to, as I grew up, I used to think that the state and the government are the same thing. And I used to be confused and think that uh, if you go against the beliefs of the state or beliefs of the government, which I used to think are the same, you're being anti-national. But as I grew up, I grew out of that notion and I began to believe that uh, the people are the state and that it is the right of the people to question, criticize, and make the state better. So I think that's, that was the beginning. And uh, Columbus Streets, the former president, uh, awarded Columbus Streets as the best novel of the year, ironically, because uh, the book was essentially about decreasing and identifying and decreasing the inequality that exists, exists, existed between our communities. I'm a very nervous speaker, so please bear with me. Um, that existed between our communities. but. Um, in sadly, uh, the for past 10 years, we've seen those two communities further get further disparities and kind of increase the disparities and um, not just increase inequality, but also establish barriers between those communities and define them for something they weren't. And I thought that was something really interesting. And then um, with those thoughts in mind, I uh, went to study in the United States for my undergraduate degree. And I decided to study um, politics because uh, I think it was a time when there was a lot of restriction um, and censorship on writers and artists. And I remember thinking, if you really want to change 
what artists can do is communicate change, and that's very important. I remember thinking it's if you want to communicate change, but nobody listens to you, or if you, people want to listen to you, but they can't hear you because they're deprived of the, of the luxury of listening to um, writers, authors, artists, theater, uh, actors. What do you do? I thought the best way would be to learn politics so I could directly affect public policy in some way. Uh, but I continued to write, and my first year I wrote my first novel, the terrorist, second novel, The Terrorist Daughter. Um, it's basically about, uh, so I was very interested in small changes. Today we're talking about memorialization. And um, I was interested in memorializing um, the small changes that lead up to the big changes. Like how, so if you look at our country and how it went through 10 years of, not 10, um, five years of post-war change at a time of this phase, at a time and a phase of great need for reconciliation, how there was extreme, and reconciliation and decentralization of power, there was this extreme uh, input of centralization of power and uh, uh, elite capture. So my book basically, Terry's Daughter, talks about how this new money elite was being created through this, um, through corruption and nepotism and how the government was creating oligopolizing the economy and power and kind of centralizing power and making it only available to a very small unit in society. And uh, I, in, through my book, I was able to kind of portray conversations between privileged youth about what's happening and how they feel about what's happening. So, um, yeah, that's what my books are about. But I think I'm also really interested in, like, I feel like what I'm, a theory that I really like is uh, James C. Scott's theory of uh, trans, dual transcripts. Um, so he did this deal, James C. Scott did this uh, research on uh, peasants in, I think, Indonesia or some other Southeast Asian country um, in um, rice plantations, and he looked at how the oppressed resist. And he realized that the most outcome comes out of actually not big, visible, rebellious movements, but little changes people make daily, like how the poor... Uh, refuse to do their work, work the extra hard at work, or the quality of work reduced, or how they, the attitude towards their seniors, and um, how the rich or the middle class refuse to pay taxes. I felt like that was visible in our country as well, if you watch how the attitude of the public changed towards government officials and the military over the last 10 years, and um, how, if you think about what happened on January 8th, I feel like it was not something that happened uh, within three months, within a three-month election campaign or a rally or anything victorious, anything rebellious, something so visible. But I thought it's something that has been happening for like 10 years or nine years, conversation that's been happening, little changes in people that's been developing for years that really created a change. And I feel like memorializing that is very important the conversations people have, not just in conflict, but in general, just if you think about um, racism or homophobia, how change is happening, if you think about generational change, um, for instance, how parents, how children teach their parents 
not to be homophobic, how children teach their, expose their parents to things they have never known, and how parents, because of that, think twice before they make a politically incorrect statement. I feel like those are the changes that actually contribute to bigger changes, and we need to memorialize those as well. And I think that is only possible through the arts, through art, writing, theater. Um, yeah, have I spoken for a long time? Good evening, and thank you all for being here. Um, I'm also um, mildly uncomfortable to be on a panel with uh, Te Nuera, <laughs> who is an artist I deeply respect and whose work I have followed for a long time. I, um, I, he's someone I, I meet very often and respect and uh, don't feel that, um, yeah, we should be up here together. There's a lot uh, that he's done. And I'm just getting started. Um, my work um, is sort of, for a, to a great extent, affected by the condition of being Sri Lankan. And for me, the condition of being Sri Lankan has been sometimes difficult in the sense that there have been so many different things that has happened along the way. And when I reflect on my own childhood, I have memories of taking the remote to the toilet so my siblings won't change the channel, to going to school on a van and seeing four bodies burning by the Bellangvilla temple. If you ask me to describe those four bodies burning, I can tell you in vivid detail to which extent each body was burnt, which body had remnants of skin that helped me identify that what was down there was actually once a living being. I can tell you the expression on one of the body's faces, the way the head had sort of snapped back, and I saw the teeth and how white the teeth were and the contrast between the charred body and the white teeth. I can tell you about when a suicide bomber attempted to take the life of um, uh, uh, Mrs. B and how the unedited images were broadcast nationally and the head of the female suicide bomber had come off and got attached in a tree and a policeman was given the duty of untangling it, untangling the hair how it fell to the pavement with a thud. I don't know if I heard the thud on the TV or if I added the thud. For me, the condition of being Sri Lankan has affected me to the point of, for a very long time, being angry. Angry at having to have seen those images, having to have learnt about death, where ideally I should have lost a pet or a grandparent, I saw four bodies burn. So the condition of being Sri Lankan, for me, has been having to be a party to or having witnessed 
silently or actively these violent events. Um, in 2007, I was working on a production with uh, a colleague, uh, Ruanti Dichikera, and I met Ruhani Pereira. We started talking about what we felt was theater and our approach to theater making. Um, and we had a lot of sort of things that we shared, and we decided together to put on a production. It was 2007, and I have some notes on it. Um, it was the first production that we did together, and in very many ways set the tone for the company's work. We didn't have an idea of creating a company at the time. It was the one production. At the time, the white van issue was at its peak. Um, I was frustrated at people who I thought could make a difference being silent at that time. And I now genuinely think that perhaps it wasn't possible for even those people to speak out. Um, but I remember feeling really, really helpless and angry again. And the production happened, or the script uh, was developed with the writing of two other Sri Lankan poets and the American um, writer and poet Sam Shepard. And we created a performance script, a script that we knew if we put into the state censorship mechanism, which is the public performance board, wouldn't have got approved at the time. So we decided to perform inside a church. Um, the only reason we selected the church was because we knew that the public performance board couldn't censor something that happened inside a church. Their only understanding of anything that happened inside a church was a religious sort of ceremony. Um, so that was our first production. Um, the idea of space interested us um, physically um, in terms of geographical space, but how we located ourselves within a community, where our art happened, where our theater happened. Um, my work, although not strictly political theater, was produced against the backdrop of war and the post-war moment. Um, it reflected the concerns of a community and a community of artists, including uh, people like Tenwara, whose motives have spilled over into my work. Um, I think it was 2010 when I did The War Reporter. Again, a play that we translated from German to English to perform it in Colombo, but if we put it into the censorship mechanism, wouldn't have got approved, so we went to a cultural foundation. At the time, the director didn't um, see the need to get Sri Lanka's government to sanction scripts and art, so he allowed the performance to go ahead, and we performed in the claustrophobic, tiny confines of that hall. But I also included barbed wire to keep something out or to protect the people within. We had barbed wire spread across the walkway and then also inside the hall. Barbed wire, again, forms part of my childhood memory and the condition of being Sri Lankan. Razor wire spread across. We have images of camps. We have images of buildings that felt that needed protecting. And so as we passed by on buses at times when 
two parents wouldn't travel on the same bus in case one was killed. There, was, there would be another parent who could take care of the children. Passing buildings that needed razor wire, either to keep people in or to keep people out. I have worked um, with personal stories, and this is something that I continue to do with. In a way, uh, my choice for personal stories have been because of the fact that my, my starting point was my own personal stories. But then as, we, as I moved al along, I felt the need to engage with, interact with other people and their stories and their histories. Um, saying someone's story or presenting someone's story, your own, can be deeply personal, but also a political act. And I'm going to quote, um, because somebody else said it better than I would. The act of speaking out one's story publicly, redefining the private, from personal stories to political act, is a move towards subjecthood, towards agency, with political implications. And I'm going to draw sort of attention to another performance I did um, as part of the Colombo Art Biennale. I wanted to look at speech as um, monuments, monuments for our time and our moment. And I looked at the Victory Day speeches made by uh, the president at the time, Mahindra Rajapaksa. And it was very interesting to hear the kind of language and how the tone and the content of these speeches shifted over four years. And I was also very interested in the idea of a monument in, in the sense of a text, but also what it does to all other narratives and all other stories. The privileging of the president's voice at the time in that monument silenced the other narrative. And with my work, I have constantly sought to include the other narrative, whether it's me as an individual or if it's another individual. Um, and I think to, again, I'm going to quote because I'm, I'm at um, a loss for words, but somebody else said it better than I have, or I will. The political potential of the personal story is located not in the particular subject matter in discussion, but rather in storytelling's capacity of, to position even the least powerful individual in the proactive subject position. And I think as an artist, my work has been hinged on these two ideas of the personal narrative. Thank you, Jake. Thanks, Tenu and Tisuri as well. Um, if I could just draw from something that Tenu said initially, this idea of art um, subverting attempts to erase memory, I think that was something that each of you touched on, and that resonated for me with also the idea of censorship that both Jake and Tisuri, I mean, Tisuri, I think there's been a more private conversation about censorship and how that affected her publication, but Jake spoke of it more directly and the methods of the strategies you need to use as artists to overcome 
both direct censorship in terms of how what scripts get approved, but also we all have this experience of what you can and can't do and get away with, and how far you're willing to go. Um, and I was hoping that maybe um, also Stenu has had many frustrations that he has voiced about safe art, which in some ways is also safe art versus ugly art, which is not just an economic exercise sometimes, it's also an act of self-censorship. And uh, I was wondering whether maybe any of you would like to comment, maybe Thisuri, starting with your experience, if you don't mind sharing your experience of publishing a book that was not necessarily true to, if I understand it correctly, your original narrative or the manuscript, and uh, how, how you had to deal with that as an artist and a writer. Yeah. So this, this happened with my second book. Uh, I wrote this in my first year of university and I sent it home first to my mother who's in the audience right now who uh, read it and she was like you will publish this and you will go back to college and we'll have to live in Sri Lanka with the consequences so we'll have to censor it and I remember being like I don't want to censor it because the lens they were going to go to to censor it, it was gonna not even make sense the story I sometimes don't even give the current copy of the book I have to people because I feel like it's genuinely not the story I wanted to tell. So, um, but it was censored and I had come to this decision not to publish it. And uh, I came to Sri Lanka and something happened when I came back home uh, that made me want to publish the censored version. Um, I had actually a little backstory. That term that I wrote the book and I sent it home, uh, I had raised hell in university uh, over a racial comment that my, one of my professors had made. I had taken it to the dean's office and it's a long story. Long story short, the professor no longer was in the college. And uh, when I came back home, I felt kind of bad because the professor had lost uh, her job because of me. But I also felt kind of good because I had stood up for racism and something that I thought was right and that definitely is right. But, um, and then Alut Gama happened when I came here. And I had, this was when I had decided not to publish the book. And I remember thinking the Alut Gama riots were a really dark time for a lot of us, especially young ones who had not experienced the 80s or the early 90s. And I remember thinking, it's time to publish it. It's, I, it's time I let go of this double standard I have for the US where I go and fight racism. And I come home and racism and all kinds of um, in unjust injustice happen in my own backyard and I do nothing. So that's why I went forward with the, pub, the censored version. There was a lot of uh, fictional characters added, extra sons, to, the president had five sons instead of three, and uh, there were some new characters who didn't belong there. It was very interesting. But um, yeah, Jake. <laughs> I think I'm going to borrow a question from Sanjana. If you were to write it, or if you were to republish, how would you recalibrate now? Uh, would, you would you go back to the original? I thought that was a particularly interesting. Would you go back to the original, or would you then be rethinking, in terms of reframing the future, uh, how would that work? I would not. I would leave it as it is now. And it's something that I, I actually, when I pass my bookshelf and I see my book on the shelf, 
I don't want to look at it because I don't, I know it's not the genuine copy. But I also feel like that's how I feel about that past, how we, I was ashamed, I didn't speak up when I could, and we kind of couldn't, and that's how I feel about it. And I feel like that book is a reflection of what it was like to be a writer back then, and I don't want to open it again. So yeah, I don't think I'll republish it. I have an idea of censorships, how I escape censorships. So I was, uh, because I'm lucky to become a visual artist in Sri Lanka, uh, because all the politicians in Sri Lanka think the verbal message is very important. So that is why they are following theater, music and cinema, where the, all the dialogues are happening, because they love rhetorics. We are in the rhetoric space, so all the time, if praising and words, 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 they follow. But when they are coming to the art gallery, there is no words. So the, the, you have to create new words to understand the things or even I have a... Because I know the first time this year I had uh, exhibition without CID and uh, Army Intelligence. Yeah. So I know personally who is the CID and I, I know how to understand uh, um, the... Uh, identify them because throughout my uh, whole the artistic life from 1997 to uh, the 2014, I have seen them. So the why the the because they think oh it's a literature the literature is uh, you can mass produce and theatre yes it can travel and literature yes other music you can't off and it can be gone. No? So but visual arts only one. Few theatre, few places we have. Only Lionel went. Other is the Mochari, that's a National Art Gallery. You are not showing anything there. But uh, the only Lionel went we have. So oh, that's the one artist is there, and so. But they were afraid when I did the beautification. So from that point, they knew, aha, visual art is stronger than other things. So then they added not only CID, they added intelligentsia from army. They came thrice to interrogate the manager of Lionel went. They asked uh, all the security guards there who is coming to see this exhibition. But they didn't come directly to me because I might, might be they think they know that I'm vociferous, you know, so might be my words flying and, you know, uh, because they're afraid about my words, because they're afraid about the words, not the, my artwork. <laughs> so then that is why I escaped. Even one, some, most of my friends asking, why are you not getting white vans? So even when I paint, uh, this is not a white van. So, and even I paint, this is not a white flag, I didn't got the white van. So I didn't abduct it. Why? Because of that, the visual art has that silence, kind of uh, thing you can intervene. Because the reporters who are coming to the exhibitions, for example, CID people, they cannot make notes on visual art. How they can go and tell this is the artwork. This, the, there is a van painted and he is saying it's not a white van. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so that's the way. Even help in Hambantota here. So what's the hell? Is there, pin is there, ham is there, but it's not helping Hambantota. But kind of, I know how to navigate through the, these uh, things and because I, I manage that way also and 
kind of i intrigue uh, the the provoking the uh, thoughts of the people who are looking at and through the visuals i try to create the new words and to understand the our context the, that's the way i navigate through the all the sanctions which i had but i think that is why i'm still lucky to be here so i even i'm uh, highly criticized the especially 2000 oh you, you can see that 1997 to 2005 somehow chandrika bandaranaik is not against the antivo artist so she is not worrying about it so she has even though promoted some kind of wars also war for peace also but anyway she is not against antivo artist only the i got the some messages from the jhu people and at that time jvp i think vimalvir once wrote against me and so anyone can bring a get some anything to that work so even i can come with the you know um, the the we are the the rice is wangedia so what is it wangedia in english so, yeah more than pestle and put it in the art gallery the camera yes you can do it if you have an ideas so that's that's the way they try to uh, but anyway the uh, i got a lot of respect from the normal people the buyers who wants to buy art so that's the again artists face the problem here the because they don't want to buy the uh, theater they go buy the ticket and go and view and come back they don't own the theater they own the only ideas but when the visual arts the who has money they have a kind of crazy idea they want to occupy that artwork they have to have it because of that sometimes artists can live but anyway so but uh, that's the idea with art so the who has some money and they are coming for them barrelism is not a collective item for them and so one of the one well the my friend came and he wants one artwork to buy now he has to go to fukuoka to see the work because they bought that with the three barrels with that painting because they are they were collecting artwork the who wanted to buy artwork they, he said no if you can get you without barrels i i want to buy the painting i said without barrels this a painting is a normal painting only the with the barrels you can read it otherwise it lost the context so now he has to go to if you like that artwork he has to go to fukuoka to see that so that's the you know they have a beautification beautified that is why the kalambu got support from the lot of wealthy people when the beautification happened so they didn't see the eradication of the muslims in the sake of you know beautifying the like, uh, the slave island so they said that is the walking areas no they have so that they built for the limited crowds that's the because of the wealthy people they love to have uh, exercises in front of the people now you can go to drink so they are happy to show their things and but poor people want to place to live and a friendly space and human space but we lost human space in colombo due to that's the way the, the it's happened so the so we have to uh, think about that and i can later i can show you the art lot of artworks with me and so uh, then who wants to
particularly, but maybe I could just uh, also... Uh, Jake, this is a conversation that we actually had partially with me hearing what you said over the phone and you not hearing a word I suggested, but <laughs> which is frequently the problem with uh, non-smartphones. Uh, but um, we, you were talking about an, a subject that I'm interested in also of complicating memorialization and the way in which we understand memorials because uh, even the alternative can be a mainstream in the manner in which we, mo we also memorialize certain versions of the truth in every time we erect a monument, whether it is in speech or in art, in the visual arts, there is always a preference for a particular type of truth that then you also, and you touched on it in your submission, you will then silence uh, a whole other range of uh, information and truth and versions particularly in a context like Sri Lanka, uh, I was interested in how your work captures that multidimensional nature of the truth, or is that a struggle that you give up on, or how does that, and especially also to touch on the conversation about collective memory, if I could just expand that a little bit more, this idea of collective memory in, in memorials, uh, when you work with individual narratives, and that's also something that I have had problem with in my work, when you report on, when you report, you generalize, but these are very personal and individual stories, and sometimes certain stories of who was disappeared or who was detained, and how we, how we memorialize that information gets preference. Um, and I, I was interested in your response to that, and I was wondering whether you'd like to share that with uh, the white audience and maybe. Um, the idea of truth, um, in the theater there's a different understanding of truth. We accept that falsehood or the, alter, the other truth, which is we all agree to a kind of truth. But when working with situations of reconciliation, and when the word truth is often placed side by side, like truth will somehow bring about reconciliation, the idea of truth becomes very, very important and how we arrive at it. And for me, memory in itself is a very brittle, porous sort of thing. Um, and the idea of truth, I'm. I mean, I'm working on this play right now, and at, at one point, um, they discuss this idea of memory, um, but also the fact that memory becomes a terribly dangerous thing when it's a personal memory in the hand of someone else. So once you have committed it to, in terms of a, of a statement, <clears throat> or in terms of a narrative, once you have committed to it and placed it out there, it becomes a very dangerous thing for the individual because you lose control, but also as a community, because we don't know what will happen to the narratives that we're writing right now. Um, I have worked with, as I said, uh, with personal stories and um, the idea of storytelling, and my role as an artist, I have had to question time and time again with every production because I chose particular stories to tell. I chose to put on stage certain narratives. 
and then you as an audience could question my choices, the authenticity of that original narrative, or what my role as an artist is, or who I think I am when I take somebody else's lived history and make art out of it. So those were some of the questions I deal with when I, when I work with personal narratives. Who the hell are you to take somebody else's story? And what happens when we don't take those stories? What happens when there is silence? For me, when there is silence, very often there is exclusion. And where there is noise, there is the potential for inclusion in the sense that we create a space where there is enough voices, enough narratives, that we question dominant hegemonic ideas around many things. Um, Rustam Barusha um, writes, um, what is marginal needs not be valorized, but it has the potential to offer another perspective on dominant narratives. If not to deflect their hegemonic assumptions, our hope is that by documenting stories of people born into a time of war, there will be a preservation of a narrative that will run counter to stories recorded through official history-making processes. Which brings me to the other point, the idea of history. Who makes history and how is it made? And I'm sure, unfortunately, I wasn't able to come to some of the other panels, and I'm sure it's something that has been dealt with before. Um, but who writes history? What is the process of a nation writing its history and whose stories included and whose stories excluded? Thenu spoke about um, the narrative of the victor and we saw it in the memorialization of, of the defeat of the LTTE or the end of the war. Um, so yeah, for me the idea of truth is something that I'm still grappling with. The idea of picking one story over the another story is something I'm st still trying to deal with. And it is something that periodically comes up in my work. So I'm going to briefly talk about something we spoke about prior to the meeting in response to yours uh, in terms of state and the role of writing history and the role of the state in writing history and what we as the public can, and artists can do to change that. So um, I'll be real brief. Uh, I also study education reform as a focus in my degree and something I believe is, uh, inter I did some research in Iraq, education in Iraq and how the Ba'ath Party used uh, history books and art books to kind of help students children learn to idolize their leaders. And I feel like the similar, a similar thing happened in our country with our former leaders, post-war leaders who used music, songs, theater. I'm not, <clears throat> not necessarily sure about theater, but they did use uh, advertisements, theater, taglines to kind of idolize themselves and kind of brand themselves as royalty. And I thought that was very interesting. And I also think if it's possible to do that, I feel like the same theory can be used to do the reverse, to change people's minds and help them understand that uh, 
kind of reverse the idea on authority and their role in history making. I hope we're not taking. Okay. Yeah, I think I got. So yeah, I'm interested in <laughs> that. Sorry, this discussion was about time and uh, yes. how we went, but not. A, not no, no. I think I got, I got it. Got it through to that. Tenu has so far escaped talking in detail about his current work, uh, even though I tried to subtly edge him towards it by uh, talking about his ugly art versus safe art. But uh, shall we, I'm sure you would have questions uh, to direct to the panel, and maybe we could open it up to the audience, and uh, we can also then at some point uh, compel Tenu to uh, take us through some of his more recent work as well, if that's okay. Himakarata Kamana, they are the audience. Yeah, yeah, we can ask the question. So, might be there, then we can, if they are interested, we, I can show them. Oh, Kamatak, I mean, it's easily. Yeah. Okay, so, um, questions, any questions to the panel? Or? Uh, just an observation on the last thing that uh, uh, Suri mentioned. Uh, they have been rewriting the history text as well, creating a completely different uh, that uh, uh, narrative there. Uh, and it's also in the vernacular, so you, you are not conversant with the languages, you can't really scrutinize it. Uh, plus, of course, the additional chapters in the Mahabhamsa that they've added. Uh, and their support for the film industry. Uh, uh, to produce these glorified historical uh, uh, themed uh, uh, films, uh, uh, pseudo history uh, that they've been promoting. Sorry, I think some of it was drowned out by the cultural <laughs> festivity outside, the drumming was a bit. Uh, was that a question to Thissori or was it just a comment? It was more of a comment. Okay, it's on position. Thank you. A question, uh, Tenu, this is something I think uh, I might have asked you at some exhibition maybe, but I, uh, when you were talking I was wondering particularly uh, in relation to if your art, through your art you're seeking to memorialize and a lot of it is going into private collection uh, it sounds a bit self-obsessive, but then have you thought of memorializing your art? Because if so much of it goes to private hands and out of sight, uh, there are things like obviously like the movements which you've uh, been through, like barrelism, there's a continuing themes, but you also have your one-offs, like I'm thinking about uh, the head of the temple horse which you did after the end of the war, which was one of the most powerful, simple, where you stepped out of your usual style, um, pieces like that. And so in that sense, um, do you see that? Or it's, as an artist, you feel, no, it's a part of, part of the course, you know? Like, yeah. it just goes. Um, yeah, that's a tragedy again. So sometimes you produce the work and someone taking it to custody and keep it in their stores or on the walls. So that particular work, I know that's a very important work, but unfortunately we have no in art industry who can reproduce the work. So the, 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 there, are peop there should be organizations who can 
take reproduce some work and available to people so and unfortunately we don't have but anyway the i have two kind of artworks what can collected others what you can reject it <laughs> the rejected things are the monuments so most of them are so very heavy and you can't take it for example my beautification is uh, i think still it's valid because our still mind still not change so we still like beautification uh, anyway you you, you hate mahindraj paksa but you like that breaks here so that kind of duality in mind but that is why still we valid that point so th those kind of spaces you know 60 by 30 feet so that artwork we have to put so the, there there should be a public spaces so we can do but some uh, artworks now i established as a public monuments so sidhu uh, monument for disappeared still it is appearing because government can disappear it because the people are protecting it that's the people's project people's uh, the they gave the money to erect that monument they are protecting but for example the even uh, you have to deconstruct how the later the even had a uh, movement to er erase that monument also when when the tamil mothers came coming to the that monument to uh, home to find uh, common graveyard as a, use it as a common graveyard and for the remembrance their sons and daughters or husband so they the the singular buddhist and singular christianity there they got together wanted to erase that monument because the tamil mothers are coming there and crying so somehow the people were uh, trying to that is the mentalities we have to we have to work still because we have common unity but community but we don't have unity so in this community so and without community is kind of without unity so <laughs> with this uh, that's the thing we have to uh, that is why the, those kind of monument for example i promised to give uh, one monument to batikalo so four mothers uh, facing four paces north south east west singular buddhist burger and muslim mother uh, mother or woman uh, i have that uh, uh, yes uh, this is the monument which i talk about raddolu siduva and other monument is always neglected kind of neelan tiruchalla uh, monument because it's a non anti monument because it's a one foot allowed to create that monument so unfortunately but it's still it's there somehow uh, uh, these are the uh, the road paintings we we did and it end 2014 under the patronage of gotabe rajapaksa so they came and tarred the whole uh, work because this is a and start not this work start not by me it's by the people you know like diana and others you know so lisa coins and you know might be miracles so they are not might be those kind of people so they started to paint but from later i join and formulate the structure and i come with the my white brush and painting the basic within one hour everything they are whole, all night they are painting colors you know putting adding the colors this kind of work so 
this is the work uh, someone cannot burn. This is in Fukuoka. So the this uh, three barrels and the painting. Uh, I have this another monument I want to erect. This is very important monument. So because uh, uh, I mean, this is published in Himal magazine front cover, so it is well published. But uh, but it's with me now. I have to have a place. One Surya Vikrama Singh offer her place. I can erect this. But uh, Gotabaya next year came and the non residential areas you can cannot have officers and she afraid and, and the, this monument is still with me. So because they hear the pole bearers, you know, and still we have, we will have pole bearers. So, you know, with the concept of federalism and what's going to be the future government also, this, this monument will be important. So to discuss the about the death, it's, it's, there is no kind of um, uh, the, the. These are the works I can uh, specially made as monuments. So this is not my monument. Government created it. I influence. I got influence from it. Took. Uh, this has to be uh, in each every province. We have to establish this kind of white gloves. Because still uh, under the Yahapalne also still I can see some people are flying with these white gloves. And uh, so I would like to have uh, this monument also because there are four pillars. I had one big uh, this again the this is the four type of columns. One is tire columns. It has a history, 88, 89 history. And barrelism, barrels columns from 1983 to 2%. To and uh, that uh, Corinthian kind of columns is a corrugated sheet given to the who are releasing from the camps. They have given Indian made 12 corrugated sheet. And to, that I took as a column and erected. And the other one is uh, uh, barbed wires. It's com coming from the uh, Novo zone and after that they were camped. So from that point I am taking the barbed wire. So bar not the razor wire, especially the barbed wire. Because when you look at the barbed wire, it has uh, two hands. So barbed wire is like holding like this. You know, then you see the spike of the hand. That's the kind of uh, uh, motif I took there. And these are the four pillars which our society constructed. So if you are not erasing, or we have to remove these columns. Then we will have a new beautiful columns we can make. So the one person came, came and went out and again came in and asked me, I cannot understand why these tires are. I said, this is the tires represent the 1988, 89. Oh, uh, that's the JVP period, no? No, I said, no, no. It's the UNP period. The JVP and others were killed, no? So that's, that's uh, again, no one questioning that period also, no? That is why still we, them and us, did separation. 
Now we are thinking about 6,000 is bigger than the 60,000 or like this kind of thing. Because if government kills 60,000, they kill 6,000 kind of. You know? So still the, we didn't discuss those. We have to have a kind of so-called, might be the truth commissions to <laughs> uh, reveal those truth. So other monument is this one, it's very important. It is erected that now three years it's laid down in my studio uh, and uh, it is now erected at Tulana, Tulana Center, it's a public space. So it's very moving. It's the first, uh, the, I like to have a monuments to people can touch and participate. This is the first time make within the art gallery I made the artwork to artist, uh, participant can touch and light a lamp and you know participate. It's, it was very moving uh, uh, monuments, uh, the artwork. Sometimes later people are coming and asking, where is your, are you not showing that wall again? You know like that. They think it's very easy, you know, <laughs> it's very heavy, the visual arts, contemporary arts, so um, this is the white van, uh, the, this is not a white van, it is in Australia now, near, near the Green Party leader having it. Uh, this is the other monument I want to erect somewhere, I can, might be a project. Because I'm a crazy artist, Kumi is here, sometimes um, I'm not listening to her even. So. <laughs> So, but anyway, so uh, secretly I am using all the funds ever I have to create artworks. <laughs> she is running the house. So that, <laughs> so sometimes I am taking UPF money also to pay my bills because beautification cost me 1.5 million to create. But no one knows that much money spent by the contemporary artist to create the socially motivated or interactive artwork. So it's heavy because, because it's free again. We don't make tickets. You have to come and look at it. So, so uh, this is the monument, uh, yeah? So you can see the four women. Yeah, but it's, I think, Batikolo uh, Surya of the me, the space. I like to happy to establish this monument there. Yeah. So this is the beautification. Uh, you can read a lot in ground views. Still I think it's archived there, then you can see. This is the uh, thing that still a uh, lot of internationally also they are asking, can you create it? Recently I had a, in NGMA, Bangalore, the art exhibition, they thought I'm going to create uh, this uh, work again. So they even uh, some artists also not thinking it's a very expensive to, <laughs> to work this kind of make and you are still, you know, the, this, this is after the Matale uh, things. Now these Matale uh, bones going back to 17th or 18th century, no? Under the, uh, the lab help from America. But according to the that, uh, available uh, evidence, it's 1989. So that's the truth can be interpreted variously through labs and this is when the governments create the history, you know. 
even Mahavansa also same thing, you know. So, and if you collect the whole observer from the beginning to the today, you will see the Mahavansa in English version, you know, every kind. And the Silumina, you can get the translated history. Those the any government in, of the, in the world. It can be American, it can be a Koreans, it can be a Vietnamese, anyone. They, that's the way they uh, interpreted the history. This our job is to criticize or intervene in an alternative way of history we have to make. So that is why the artist's works are very important, so they are questioning it and might be the, uh, that's the way we can uh, question history back. So, So this is the, again the uh, one year before the tenth hundredth anniversary of the uh, Muslim massacre, 1915 June, it happened. But 2014 I had this exhibition the, uh, because 2014 where what happened in uh, Beirut that the, these are the protector went there. This is the protector when there. And the, I remember one person came to see my exhibition. He went and saw it. He, he, he's Shanathanan, the artist. He sat near to me and he said, Oh my God, the, the, he remembers the presence of the army in Jaffna. He, he read it like that, you know. So the, that's the way. The any pro, uh, oppressor can be, can be. They don't have faces. Anyone can go into that empty space, become a protector. So, so that's uh, there are might be the drawings. Uh, so dead bodies and thorns, and again the last slide is lotus. So. Still, the under the Yahapalan also might be they have to finish that lotus column. <laughs> yes. I'm waiting how they are going to change it. So how they are going to intervene to that lotus shape. Uh, there are plans to change the Bandarnaik Airport International also under the others. I saw some plans to look like lotus shapes, Bandarnaik Airport, this is because it's look like word M also, with the two oh, wow. okay. petals together is Mahinda kind of Mihin. So, so that's the, that is why still I have to work on Lotus. Thanks, Tenu. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I think thanks, Mirak, also for drawing Tenu out. <laughs> because it's something we've been trying to do. Thank you. Uh, are there any other questions for the panelists? I know we started a little late, but. Thank you. Can you briefly explain a, li a little more about self-censorship uh, uh, in the sense that uh, how to deal with it in the sense uh, when you write something, when you write, put something on paper or uh, you know, when you create art, uh, you, you, uh, like the, the person in the panel said that sometimes we cannot, uh, uh, we, don't, we can't own another person's experience. For example, if I want to talk about something about 
sexual assault happened um, during the last stages of war, if I won't write about it, if I don't know what is the truth, and, and I, I don't know how to, when I write it on the paper, uh, how, how, sometimes I feel that I'm, some kind of censorship is happening and I, I don't know how to deal with it. So if you can help me to understand that uh, dilemma, thank you. Um, um, so just to start with the idea of truth, um, I think that's a problematic place to start, uh, one. Uh, but also, uh, you were saying something about how your family is the first place you get censored, and I can sort of completely understand that, because that is, for me, also where it happens. Um, and it's a lot of emotional kind of almost blackmail, where you say you not only jeopardize yourself, but all the people around you. Um, and so that idea of censorship. But there is also, I think, in some ways, as, as an artist, with you are censoring other stories when you choose to tell a story about, say, uh, uh, sexual violence in the last stages of the war. So you are aware of it completely. Um, if it is not your experience to know the other's experience is important, in terms of sort of um, hearing, dealing with, grappling with the multiplicity of that experience also. Uh, positioning yourself, I mean, also identifying where you are positioned. So for example, I n never once, I mean, I never doubt the fact that I have been, I've had a lot of privileges as somebody who has been placed in Colombo. I mean, born in Colombo, brought up in Colombo. I don't for a moment uh, forget that, even as I am talking to somebody else, um, those, those ideas, because those form your ideas and the way you grapple with certain things. It's sometimes delicate things that you need to deal with. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware that I'm not very clear now and not making much sense, so I'm going to. <laughs> so I think the way I would respond is to if you're writing creatively, go with the tag fiction and then you're the narrator and you can drive it and you can also touch on something that is a true story but people know it's a true story but you're going to tell your own version of it and it's your name on the cover so you can say it your way. But if you're handling a non-fiction issue like you said, uh, I had a similar instance when I wanted to talk about the recent uh, sexual assault case that got a lot of attention, Bithya, uh, that I wrote a piece uh, called uh, Sri Lanka's Daughter. And where I felt, I had this conversation with my brother where I really wanted to talk about it, but I didn't want the spotlight to be on me or what I want to say because someone else suffered and I don't want to make a story out of it or benefit from it. So I wanted to figure out how to address this without demeaning what she went through and what that really is. Because things like sexual assault are extremely sensitive and personal cases. So you have to find a way to look at the underlying theme and this is some kind of figure out how you would handle it. And then that's how I would do it, how, uh, how I would feel if it happened to someone I know and then figure out the broader picture and write about that instead of going into the personal. Am I making sense? I hope so.
Just to add to that, um, also the fact a lot of events, uh, you don't have to have experienced it, but you could have experienced in the sense that you were, you were a Sri Lankan at that time. So, for example, I was nine years old when, when uh, the UNP government uh, was in power and there were the burnings that happened and the extrajudicial killings. Um, I don't write from the point of a victim uh, or from the uh, point of uh, somebody uh, whose family member was abducted and murdered, uh, but I write from the perspective of somebody who lived and experienced that. Uh, so that might be one way of dealing with so you go to your, like you said, to your own experience of that story. Yeah. Uh, was there a question from? Jake has completely bargained it because, Jake, I have two questions. One is, um, for a couple of years as a curator, I've been struggling with how to get people to discuss inconvenience and inconvenient truths. And it's been interesting because whether you love or hate or are indifferent towards ground views, what has actually resonated more is the stuff I've done around art, theater, culture, and photography, and short, uh, short form video. It seems to be interesting entry points into that which people otherwise would marginalize, not think about, not even agree with, or not even seek to question themselves around. In your art, in uh, Tisuri, your writing, Jake, your theater, and Tenu, your, uh, your artistic production, what has been the most effective means as an artist to communicate that which you seek to communicate? Then you spoke about the kinetic, no? that, that you can go and touch. Uh, has it been the installations or the art that have been kind of kinetic, that have had a tactile component to them that has been the most effective? Uh, in your opinion, Jake, has it been discursive theater? I mean, uh, theater, not necessarily black box and thisuri. Interestingly, has it been actually a blog as opposed to any published text yeah, in the printed form? that has been uh, uh, more effective. Jake, uh, so that's a general question, and I'm sorry to do this, because you, you keep think, talking about Sri Lankan and how it is a Sri Lankan response that you have had. And I was wondering, you know, growing up through what I did and what you did and seeing it as we did, I wonder whether you can generalize it as a Sri Lankan response or whether you need to problematize it a bit more and then think through other lenses. I'm sure that of the thousands who witnessed that violence, some would have thought it in inevitable, celebrated it, looked at it with indifference, looked at it as uh, a means to an end. Uh, and are, uh, you know, is it, in, is it your take that all of us are Sri Lankan in our response? I mean, I'm not sure that I make the, make the question very clear. I, I want to problematize your use of, of, of Sri Lankan, and I think that it needs to be problematized because our take on violence, particularly that which we have borne witness to, is very, very different uh, depending on who you are, where you are, and a whole number of other factors. Thanks. Um, perhaps, I don't know if I said it the first time, but to clarify, it's my condition of being Sri Lankan. Right, so it's not uh, in any way uh, a blanketing statement that we all have sort of uh, ex experienced things the same way. We don't, like you said, it, it, they're very, very, very different experiences of the one event or several events. Um, so no, it, it is my my condition of being Sri Lankan, uh, and maybe also. Uh, the training as an artist or a writer or uh, uh, an actor, how 
why you, I mean, why Tenu, for example, chooses to work with uh, the kind of work he does uh, and conceptual art, but something that really um, at various times uh, speaks to the collective psyche um, or sort of grapples with the collective psyche. Um, so it, it's for me my own condition. And, and I think in a lot of ways, like I said, sometimes I'm angry with what is happening or what has happened. And I am very aware that this might be a singular sort of ex uh, experience. And, and when I'm creating art, I am always open to the idea that somebody else will read it very differently. But I also work with the other's history in the sense that when we see something, and we spoke about, um, a friend and I spoke about the, the concept of beauty and, and that being a construct. And, and even when we were talk about aesthetics, our own experiences and what we have been privy to and uh, how we have been privileged in terms of how we have experienced art and beauty affect how we interact with a particular piece of art. So the way Tenu said, the way we read art is very important. And two people from two different perspectives will read the same piece of art in two completely different ways. And that, as an artist, is something that you have to deal with and come to terms with. Which is what is interesting about it is I, I, my work has been sort of identified as activist. And there also I have a bit of a, it sits uneasily with me in the sense that I'm nervous that art colonizes activism at some place, um, some, at, at some times, where a lot of the times activist sort of approaches end up in arts sort of spaces and is an artistic expression, not to reduce the idea that art can't have an impact and can't communicate. But I wonder whether um, art has, to a great extent, colonized the way in which we speak with direct language, saying this and the other thing quite directly. So for me, the challenge has been, how do you create a work that breaks the silence at one time and says things? And then how do you create a piece of work that is evocative? And this dilemma between didacticism and evocative sort of art and where you position yourself, especially when you choose to create the kind of work that I do or Tenu does. Where do you position yourself on that spectr uh, spectrum? Um, I went on a bit of a rant, no? Uh, but uh, yeah, I was trying to respond to your question. So, um, in terms of blogging and published work, real solid physically published work, uh, I feel like the qualitative responses I get is more for my published work and uh, the quantitative responses are higher for uh, the blogging terms I, uh, to expand. The numbers, the scale that I reach through my blog is unbelievably higher than my print work, but the responses in terms of quality is completely different. You'll get thousands of responses and comments and emails about your blog, which have n no substance to it. Some, some days there's no substance to the responses I get. There's actually, actually there's about 1,300 odd people who have mistaken me for Pavitra Vanyarachi's daughter and send me a lot of their personal opinions on my apparent mother. 
but there are also people who reach out and have good things to say but I think if someone has the time to take buy your book or read a review of your book and then buy a book or find it in a library and read it there is qualitative response they actually get to but a lot of people take uh, misunderstand um, it's very easy to misunderstand blogs that are supposed to reflect political theories and more sociological uh, explanations to complete defamation or just the people are, will easily misunderstand your blogs for what they really are um, but um, yeah it's easy to get it's better responses for my print work than published but I love the idea of the scale that I can reach through my blog yeah I don't have to respond <laughs> so but uh, I think um, uh, the visual art has one capacity so so the you if you look at things look that's look that gaze and then you decide it's you don't like it or not like might be you carry the uh, you go further but if you don't like you go away with the artwork but that if you looked it at it that uh, image going to your unconscious and later it provoke the uh, meanings so then you are struggling with that so, so that's the might be the the parallelism worked you know even sometimes I put uh, uh, things which you cannot put together for example electric chair so construct you know what is electric chair is but I am making a different kind of chair in naming it as electric chair but there are a lot of things there are electric things wires and it's glow and you know but making things then that fun or parody and then it gives you to it's opening the, to space then so that uh, and again that um, uh, that question of uh, how to censorship no? we appropriate no? so things to our own way so and we might be that I have a Russian experience my friends told me that how the Russian writers escape from the censorship so the best writers later select the masterwork might be the Othello they translate it to Russian to tell the current situation so that's there are ways hundred and millions ways even if you look at the books in fictions fiction there is a saying author has no responsibility of that this kind of thing these are the fixtures and places and names are not real so then you can write anything and tell that it's not real so those are the things you can use that's the artist can use everything anything for any purpose even without words you can print a book without words blank pages it's becoming a book so there are millions of ways that is why art never ends even technology came you know so it it, it needs uh, to all the times so to change the world okay thank you thank you I think we're gonna call it a night with that uh, unless any of you have any pressing questions that <laughs> do no I think
Thank you, Sanjana, for giving us all this opportunity. And Tenu, Jake, Tisuri, not necessarily in that order. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here today. And uh, we're kind of cajoled and coaxed to come to this space and share your work. And uh, I, it's been fantastic for me to kind of continue this conversation with you. Um, thanks, Sanjana, also. And thank you. You've been a great audience. Uh, thanks again. Thank you very much. Please join me in uh, giving a round of applause. Thank you. Just before you go, there are catalogues. Please take as many as you want. And again, please come to the Floating Space Theatre production, uh, Forgetting November. Jake is the director of it. Uh, and it is very much a continuation of these discussions. It's an original script and an original production that was made for the exhibition. Thanks very much and have a good night. <laughs>